Okay, this morning we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we're picking up in verse 9. We started talking about verse 9 last time, but that's where we're starting today. So let's, let's open with a word of prayer. Father God, we do thank you for your word and for the things we can learn from it about who you are and about this great salvation you have given to us. Um, Lord, we just pray that as we do study this morning that, that you'll give us understanding about um, what you really have done for us and it can sink into our hearts and, our, and we can be appreciative for that. We just pray you bless our time now as we look into your word. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, our reading this morning is rather short <laughs> for context. We'll start at verse 7 and read through verse 11. Just 7 through 11. To have lawsuits at all with one another is already a defeat for you. Why not rather suffer wrong? Why not rather be defrauded? On the contrary, you yourselves wrong and decry. You do this even to your brethren. Or do you not know that the commandments will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, or nor are idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality. And that is what some of you were, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Okay, so you can kind of see where we're going. We're going to look at some sins and then look at what God has done about that. Um, just reviewing, you know, last week we finished up this section on uh, believers suing each other uh, in court, in public court, secular courts. And Paul had said at the beginning, you know, you should just take deal with that in the church. You know, you, you, you claim to have wisdom. Use that wisdom. You should be able to deal with it in church, not take, you know, take your dirty laundry out into public. But then he says, the fact that you have lawsuits already shows that you're defeated. You should never get that far. And, and he says, you know, you should prefer to be defrauded or prefer to, you know, lose money on a business deal than have to take it to court and, and prosecute it. Um, and, it and here, it's, it, I think what struck me was um, he's actually addressing these admonitions to the person who was defrauded. So he's not necessarily in this case, he's, he's saying, okay, you've been cheated. Don't do anything about it. Let God take care of it. And then, and then the last thing he says is, you know, you complain about the people who cheat you, and he says, you're just as bad yourself. <laughs> so, um, you know, they're not getting any sympathy from, from Paul here. Um, and then we started in, in verse 9, where he said, well, I'll read 9 and 10. Or do you not know that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? And then do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers shall inherit the kingdom of God. So we talked about 
what does it mean to inherit the kingdom of God? And inheriting is, is not just having your name in the will for something in the future. This is actually getting it. You will not see, you will not um, have it in your possession. So unbelievers uh, will not inherit this kingdom. Um, And he talks here about the unrighteous. And we've seen before um, when he talks about going to court, you know, don't go to court before the unrighteous. And then later he says, don't go to court before the unbelievers. So those are equivalent here. The unbelievers are the ones who are unrighteous. And they will not inherit the kingdom of God. And so then we looked at what's this kingdom of God thing? And in the context, it's, it seems to be that he's talking about Christ's future return, the second advent of Christ, when he establishes his thousand-year reign on earth. So we're talking about that literal kingdom. Not kind of a, you know, right now, you know, we've been delivered from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of Christ. So we are, in effect, in, in, in a kingdom of God, but it's not on earth. It's a heavenly kingdom. And we saw that before. You know, we're aliens on earth. And we talked about the church is like an embassy here. You know, it's where the aliens <laughs> who, who don't belong in the world system come and we can be, have a, I guess, a place of safety almost. Um, and so he's talking about this future kingdom. And, and it struck me looking at the context that makes sense. Back in chapter 3, we talked about the judgment seat of Christ which he's, Paul's talking about something in the future when we go stand before Christ after the resurrection and we're judged for the deeds in this world. So he's talking about something future. And then in chapter 6, in verse 2, uh, do you know that the saints will judge the world and the world is judged by them? And, and 3, do you not know that we shall judge angels? Well, that occurs again in this future kingdom of God. It's not something that's happening now. It's still, in a sense, prophetic. Um, and if you look at commentaries, they use the big word, that's eschatolo- eschatological. No, that's not right. <laughs> eschatology? Eschatology, but it's, they say eschatological. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Eschatos is Greek for last things. Okay. So it's future, yeah. Eschatological, yes. Logical with the Yeah. <laughs> Eschatology, the study of the last thing. So this is prophetic, something that will happen. And so that fits in here when, you know, looking at the kingdom of God. You're not, you know, that's still future. When we'll actually be in the kingdom, know it, we'll judge the world, we'll reign with Christ. That's all still prophetic and future. So that's kind of how... Paul has introduced this. Um, you know, the unrighteous unbelievers will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now he gives us a list of who, who are the unrighteous. He gives us a list of sinners. And so we'll go through that, uh, not spend too much time on it. Um, verse 9, he lists uh, five types of sins, four of which involve sexual sins. And we've talked before about Corinth and how much uh, sexual per- 
diversity was there. And so that probably reflects that immoral culture of Corinth. So the first two that are listed, um, we have fornicators and idolaters. Fornicators, again, is that word pornoi, which we recognize as pornography. That's where we get that word from. Um, it may be translated immoral or sexually immoral. And so this is a very general term for any kind of sexual activity outside of marriage, outside of the proper sexual activity within marriage. And it includes unmarried people as well, having sexual activity outside that relationship of marriage. Idolaters refers to those who are actively participating in idol worship. And we've seen before, there are a lot of temples in Corinth, all kinds of pagan temples. You know, and we'll, off and on we'll see problems with, can you eat this meat? That, you know, they'd, they'd sacrifice animals. Um, they had no need for a separate butcher shop because there were so many animals being sacrificed in these pagan temples that that's where all their meat came from. So could you go to the, go and buy some of this meat and eat it as a Christian? And, and Paul says, yes. Um, and we, we looked uh, at one time of, you know, suppose a, an unbeliever invites you out to dinner and they're serving steak. He says, go ahead and eat it. Unless they say, oh, did you know this was offered in the temple of Apollo? In that case, you push it away and say, then I can't eat it. <laughs> if they make a deal out of it, don't eat it. If it's, if it's just another piece of steak, go ahead and eat it. So there's, that's kind of a judgment call there. But that's where all our meat came from. But there were some who actively participated. They are idolaters. Um, and these two kind of go together because a lot of the pagan worship involved sexual practices. Um, you'll read in a lot of places about temple prostitutes. And so these first two kind of go together. Now let's go back in chapter 5. Paul refers here to the people of the world, unbelievers, and then in 11 to so-called believers. Would someone like to read 10 and 11 for us? I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world, or with the covetous and swindlers, or with idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is in and a moral person, or covetous, or an idolater, or a reviler, or a drunkard, or a swindler. Not even to eat with such a one. Okay, so we both these terms, fornicator and idolater, are listed here. Both for the unbelievers and for the so-called believers. And as we go through this list, I'll keep referencing back to these two verses in, in chapter 5. And we'll see an awful lot of these terms were, have been used already. Okay, now back into verse 9. The next three sins listed are all sexual sins. Adulterers are married people who have any kind of sexual relationships outside of marriage. So it's, a, it's fornication, but it's a little more specific. This is a married person having sexual relationships outside of marriage. 
And then there's, uh, at the end of verse 9, depending on your translation, you'll either have two separate types of sinners listed or you'll just have one phrase. In the English Standard Version, it says, men who practice homosexuality. The Holman Christian Standard Bible says, males who have sex with males. So this takes two different terms and combines them which is what this is talking about. So it's not, uh, it's not inaccurate. But in the Greek, there's two separate uh, names here. And the first one, um, in New American Standard, is, it says effeminate. In the NIV, it calls them male prostitutes. And so there, you've got a little bit of a different um, translation there. This word is used in one other place. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. Okay. Someone like to read verses 7 and 8. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear such clothing are in kings', king's houses. How far? That's far enough. So this, this word actually means soft clothing. So, and, and so... And we know John did. No, John didn't. He was yeah, He wore burlap. Yeah, he was. He was a tough. He was a tough dude. Labeled on locusts. Yeah. Um, and really, when you know, like the commentaries point out, the, the soft clothing. He said a lot of times, young men were kept in palaces for homosexual purposes. And whether. Jesus is specifically referring to that practice here. I don't know. But that's kind of where the term came from. I have a note in my New American Standard that says, um, regarding the word effeminate, it says by perversion. Oh, by so perversion. it isn't talking about you know, someone who just happens, like a male who likes to cook or you know, something right. like that. It's, it's perversion. Yeah. And it doesn't refer to someone who just has a really expensive suit. No, it's specifically, right. <laughs> um, um, you know, being effeminate is being, you know, so, so when, what, what these two words here are describing is a homosexual relationship between two men. One is the passive one, one is the aggressor or the active one. And so the first one is the passive one. Um, and again, that, you know, the commentary said that this was common in, you know, in the palaces. So the second term is translated homosexual. So this is the active partner who's seeking the sexual interaction. Um, and when you see these two terms combined here, it talks about the homosexual relationship. It's very clear with these two to, together. Separately, you can argue that, well, maybe, you know, Maybe the guy just likes, you know, laying around his pajamas all day. You know, it's nice, soft, comfortable clothing. 
It doesn't really refer to homosexual. And the other word you can, is kind of the same way. You can translate it differently if you really push it. Um, but when they're together, no, it's pretty clear what it means. Um, yeah, I was, uh, as I studied this, I was a little bit surprised that, yeah, this really does specifically refer to that relationship. Um, I'm going to look at a couple other passages. First, Romans 1. Romans chapter 1. Someone like to read verses 26 and 27. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. For the women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way also, the men abandoned the natural functions of the woman and burned in their desire towards one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Okay, so here we have both male and female homosexuality condemned. Um, and so we, we do see, that, you know, and, and, and that's something, you know, in our current culture, a lot of churches are totally welcoming, totally accepting of this sort of behavior. And, the, and so that's why I'm taking a little more time to say, no, it's not acceptable in, in God's eyes. Um, and as far as the soft clothing, Let's go back to Deuteronomy chapter 22. Deuteronomy 22, someone like to read verse 9 for us. Do not plant two kinds of seed in your vineyard. If you do, not only the clouds you plant, but also the fruits of the vineyard will be defiled. My, my fault. <laughs> 22, 5. 5. Okay, I'll try it one more time. Yes. <laughs> uh, a woman must not wear men's clothing, nor a man wear women's clothing. For the Lord your God detests anyone who does this. Okay. <laughs> so I think this is talking about what's preliminary to homosexual activity. And so it's related. But again, you see the, the clothing is important, too, because it's involved with the whole confusion of the sexes. And um, that's something that you know, Steve Van Horn talked about a whole yesterday quite a bit about our current culture and, and why that's becoming common. Um, now, the commentaries noted that um, in Greek and Roman culture, homosexuality was very pervasive. I think one of them mentioned that was the first 19 emperors of the Roman Empire that 18 were homosexuals. Um, I think if I remember correctly, Plato, Socrates, some of the other great, great Greek philosophers were homosexuals. So there was a lot of this that went on. Um, you know, it's possible that their society was worse than ours is today, even. So. But not to say we're not headed that direction. <laughs> um, okay. In other words, what you're saying is we should be real careful of men in grocery stores wearing their pajamas. <laughs> Soft pajamas. <laughs> right. Yeah, you got it. You nailed it. No. 
Sorry about that. So. It, it just fit the bill. It fits, yeah. Quite often. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. That's pervasive is, it seems, I still keep reading that statistically, mm -hmm. um, these, you know, pervert, whether it's transgender or whatever, <laughs> are really pretty small percentage wise. But they have a lot of, as Steve pointed out, they have a lot of political clout, and yes. they, uh, there's even a lot of very well-funded ones who yeah. push the agenda. They push the agenda, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that wraps up verse 9. We're going on to verse 10. <coughs> Five more types of sinners listed in verse 10. Um, first, we have thieves. Uh, our word kleptomaniac comes from the Greek word klepto, that's a thief. Uh, so this is someone uh, who steals items from others, often secretly. It is used of Christ several times. He will come as a thief in the night. Not that he's a thief, but he comes like a thief in the night. He sneaks in when you're least expecting, yes. So, uh, I had to make sure we get that clear. <laughs> um, so that's the first one, our thieves. The second one is covetous or greedy. Uh, and this means to be, in general, means to, eager to be eager to have more, especially of something that belongs to others. And so, um, you know, comparing this to a thief, <clears throat> if you're covetous, there's some specific thing that someone has and you want it. And um, whereas thieves typically, they'll steal anything that has value and sell it. They don't care what it is. They, they come in secret. Um, and so they're a little different, but again, they're, they're, you're wanting something more. Uh, some by theft, some by just wanting it. And going back, we mentioned our, our list in 1 Corinthians 5, verses 10 and 11. Both of these are here as part of the descriptions of unbelievers and of so-called believers. The third one we have is drunkard. So this, the Greek word here is methyl. Methyl alcohol. I can't. I can never remember. There's methyl alcohol and ethyl. One is what you drink. The other one is what kills you. Well, actually, they both could kill you, but but it's devastating. Ethyl, ethyl alcohol is like rubbing alcohol. Alcohol. Yeah. So, I think that's what my jar said. It could be. Yeah. So, anyways, the Greek word is methyl. So this is someone who you know loses control of their lives to alcohol. Um, and again, in, those, in chapter 5, uh, this is used of so-called believers. If someone's life is given over to alcohol and they call themselves a believer, you've got a, a problem there. Fourth, we have revilers or slanderers. Um, and again, we've seen this one before. This is someone who's abusive in speech. You attack someone. This is like libel or slander or gossip. You know, you're trying to attack someone's character. <clears throat> this is also used of so-called believers in the previous chapter. 
And then fifth, we have the extortioner or the swindler. Um, and this comes from a Greek word that means to take by force. So they, they steal like a thief, but it's not done in secret. It's done in the courts. <laughs> um, they use deceit. They use manipulation. You know, you might look at um, scams. We have lots of scams nowadays. Uh, that's what this is, an extortioner or a swindler. And in our previous uh, chapter, it was used of both the unbelievers and the so-called believers. So we've seen this one before also. Um, we don't need to go there and look, but um, back in Luke chapter 18, there's the, uh, Jesus tells a parable about the prayer of the, the Pharisee versus the tax collector, where the Pharisee is so proud. He says, I'm not like other people. I'm not a slanderer. I'm not a swindler, is what he's, the Pharisee says. I'm not a swindler like others. So that, that word gets used there. Now, one of the things that um, I started to point out last week is, so like verse 10, they are thieves. It doesn't say these are people who steal. No, they're thieves. That's who they are. Not we, necessarily someone who stole something once. Right. Or this got is, drunk once. Lifestyle. Yeah. yeah. And that's continuation. You know, and, and again, you know, looking at what Steve said yesterday, and you know, a lot of people say, What what are people are people naturally good? And that's kind of the general philosophy worldview now is People are by nature good, and it's circumstances and background and all these other things that cause them to sin. That's not what the Bible says. That's not what Paul's saying here. They're not nice people who steal. No, they're thieves. <laughs> That's what they are. Um, it's a habitual lifestyle. It's what, how they are identified. And so at the end of verse 10, again, um, we have that warning. They shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Because they are thieves. They are swindlers. They are adulterers. Um, and those kind of people cannot inherit God's kingdom. So what does God do about that? We see this in verse 11. And such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and in the spirit of our God. So first he says, such were some of you. Uh, some of them had one or more of these sinful lifestyles. And there's other sins that he doesn't list here, but they're just the same kind of thing, you know. Um, they were sinners. He doesn't say, and you committed some of these sins. He says, this is what you were. By nature, this is your identity. Um, you know, again, our, our, our sinfulness, our depravity of when we're unsaved is not what we do or what we think is what we are. And so this is talking about conversion. Um, and, and the good news is that God changed them and now there's something new. That's good. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 17. So 
I would like to read that for us. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Okay. If we're in Christ, we're a new creation. We are no longer adulterers or thieves or swindlers or whatever. We're something new. Um, what are we? We're new creatures. Yeah. Um, Galatians says we're sons of God by faith in Christ Jesus. And Ephesians talks about we're heirs of the glory of God. You know, we're, we're something new. We're God's children. And this is something, that, you know, as far as being a basis for Christian lifestyle, uh, this is so significant. And one of the things we're, <laughs> this is a warning, uh, there's a lot of real heavy stuff in verse 11, so we're not going to finish it today, and we may not finish it next time. <laughs> but we'll go through it, because this is really basic to understanding um, what God has done for us. So, Paul says God did three things for them, and so we have three parallel phrases. But you were washed, but you were sanctified, and but you were justified. So all these three begin with the adversative word, but. Now there's several different Greek words that are translated into English as the word, but. Um, one of them can be translated more like, and uh, <laughs> it's just it's just a filler, you know. It's kind of a, they got to connect a couple ideas together. Uh, this one is the word Allah, A L L A. This is the strongest contrast in Greek. You were this, but now you're over here. Complete contrast. Um, so you're something totally different now. And, and again, we need to understand this as Christians to help us to, to live godly lives. Let's look at Romans chapter 6. And we'll look at Romans 6 a few times, I think, as we go through this section. Romans chapter 6, would someone like to read verses 17 through 19? Okay. You were slaves of sin. That's what you were. Now you are slaves to righteousness. Those are completely different things. What you were, what you are. It's a change of what, you know, basically of, of, of our, our very identity. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 5. And we'll see, we'll see that contrast again in the 
in a different light. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 5, would someone like to read verse 8 for us? For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Okay. Again, we see the contrast. You were darkness, now you are light. Black and white contrast here. Dark and light. And then we see the uh, admonition. Okay, now that you are light, walk that way. And so that's what we'll, we'll talk about quite a bit. Um, and how we can walk that way. Um, let's turn to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. Someone like to read verses 3 through 6. <coughs> chapter 3, verses 3 through 6. At one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Okay, see how similar this passage is to our Corinthian passage. This is what we were. And here he lists more as sins, but or of what we were doing. Um, but then we were what regenerated and renewed. We new, become new creation, new creatures, uh, and so now we are able to be that we are different. Um, and let's look at how Paul applies this. Let's go to Colossians chapter five. 3, Colossians chapter 3, excuse me. I'm thinking Colossians doesn't have five chapters. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, Colossians chapter 3, let's, uh, let's read 5 through 10. We can go ahead and read around again. That's a little longer passage here. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. Skip. But now you must also rid yourself of such things as these anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices. And they have put on a new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Okay. So again, we see the sins here. That, you, know, this is, you once walked in these. You once lived in these. That's what your life was because that's what you were. That's the old nature, the old man. Um, but now uh, put them all aside. Uh, basically, 9 says you laid aside the old self. You put on the new self in 10. So... Here's his admonition. We've got this change in our essential being. And he's saying, no, this change has occurred. God has done that. But it, it, it takes us a while to make that change in our lifestyle. 
takes our whole lives, it seems like. You know, we continue to work on that. But we can because we are new creatures, because the old, old nature is what we were. It no longer has any um, authority over us, any power over us. Um, and so that's Paul's that make, makes that application. Change your lifestyle to match what you now are. Because you can, because this is what God has done for us. Um, let's turn to Romans chapter 7. And something that's important is you know, realizing who we are versus what we were. Romans chapter 7. Someone would like to read verse 17 and verse 20. 17 and 20 separately. Okay, with verse 20 also, please. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who did it, but, is, but it is a sin living in me that does it. Okay. Who, who's doing the sin? What does he say here? What, 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 does, he, what does he say here? He says, I'm not the one doing it. Who's doing the sin? No, it's the sin which indwells me. He says, I'm not doing it. See, he understands this distinction. There's the old nature, the new nature. He is identifying with his new nature. I am a child of God. I am not an adulterer. I am not a swindler. I am not, I am a child of God. And it's this old nature is what is doing the sin. Now, he's not excusing himself. No, you can't say, oh, you know, it's like, what was that joke? The guy used to say, well, the devil made me do it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And so that's, that's not the application here. Paul's not excusing himself. But he's identifying with his new nature. And we have to identify ourselves with our new nature. And I mentioned before, it's Galatians 3.26. You know, we are sons of God by faith in Christ Jesus. I had a t-shirt with that on. It was a really comfortable t-shirt, but I didn't want to wear it. Oh. So I wore it under my football jersey, or under my football pads for a mm. whole season. It rotted off, yes. <laughs> that was the end of that. It was a very comfortable shirt. Yeah. <laughs> um, so those verses are really showing the, the tension that exists. There is, yes. Between our old nature and our new nature. Part of being sanctified is, or continuing to be sanctified, is to recognize who we are and yes. how we should act and right. how we have the authority to act. Yes, yes. And so that's kind of the point I'm trying to make here. Who, you know, what am I? I am a child of God. I am in Christ, a member of the body of Christ. Yeah, live like it. That's the problem, is we don't live like it. Now I'll get into that here. Um, so to combat sin in my life, um, you have to look at yourself as a new spiritual being 
and you're inhabiting this body. You know, the body is, you know, there's places where Paul says, members of your body. Okay, you've got hands, feet. We've got brains too, our thoughts and our imaginations. Those are parts of the members of our body. Um, my old sin nature is separate or at least distinct. Um, it has desires. It needs the members of my body to carry out its desires. If it doesn't have hands or a tongue or imagination, it can't carry out its desires. So it's nagging us, saying, uh, can I use your tongue for a minute because I want to slander somebody? <laughs> and we can say, no. I'm not going to let you use my tongue. Um, and that's, you know, it's, it's, not quite, it's not all so simple as that, but help, you know, looking at it that way is helpful. And I think that's what Paul is saying. You know, I'm, he, he was frustrated because he knew he was separated into God and holy and righteous, but his old nature kept nagging him and saying, I want, can I use your brain a little bit? I want to covet something. Like I want to, yeah, it's a battle. Yeah. And, you know, the old nature that put to death, it has no authority, no right to use the numbers of your body. So we can say no to it. I mean, it manipulates and whines and cries and, you know, it's like a baby that, or a little kid that whines and whines and whines and whines until it gets its way. And, and usually, unfortunately, we okay, <laughs> I've had enough of that, you can use my head for a second. You know, um, let's, go, let's go back to Romans 6. Let's look at verse, someone like to read verses 12 and 13. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as though you have been brought from death to life, <coughs> and your members together as instruments for righteousness. Okay. So, even verse 11. So consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God. So that's who we are. We're, you know, our new natures, we're alive to God, but not, but not to sin. That's so why he's, you know, he's saying, don't let sin rule or have your, the members of your body. It wants them. Fulfill its lusts. And he's telling us, um, we have that choice here. Don't say, okay, old nature, I'm going to give you my hands so that you can go out and steal something. I'm not going to give you my imagination so you can lust after something. I'm not going to give you my tongue so you can slander. Um, instead, present our members to God. Do something good. So it's kind of like we have a new nature and old nature. Our new nature actually has the authority over our body. The old nature doesn't. That's been cut off. It's been dead. But in our new nature, we can decide to let it use our members or not. So that, that's kind of the way I picture it and in my life, and it helps an awful lot. To recognize when those, because the old nature is going to keep popping those things into our head. 
Um, that's not sin to have those things popping into our head because that's the way it is. That's just um, the way you can say, no, I don't think I'll do that this time. <laughs> so we can say no. Um, okay. Well, that's a good place to break and also our time's up for today. So, Joe, would you like to pray for us? Now? Sure. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. Just pray, Lord, that you will speak to us through it, talk to us, guide us, direct us. And Lord, let us give that, let us live in the, in the position that we are. Let us um, realize we are sons of God, and let us live towards those things that, that will drive us to be that, that position. Let us overcome sin that's in our lives. Let us um, give us the strength to overpower that, to step above that, and to live like we should as children of God. We thank for this lesson, prepare for the next hour to come. Every bit Roberts he brings the message. And pray that we will be here with worshipful hearts, ready to receive what you have for us. In your precious name we pray. Amen.